the book of Acts is, actually the whole title of the book is called The Acts of the Apostles, and it's really the history of the origins of the church of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of things going on in the book of Acts that uh, throughout history have been variously interpreted, understood, misunderstood, misapplied, misappropriated, all of those things. This morning, um, obviously, I'm not going to be preaching the entire second chapter of Acts, but I'm going to be focusing on one thing in particular. And I need to give you the background to the second chapter of Acts, which, as I just said, is, in other words, it's the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. We're talking now about the true church of Jesus, which sometimes is called the universal church of Christ. Peter, in Acts chapter 2, has been preaching up a storm to whoever happened to gather around. And Peter, um, if you know anything about Peter at all, he was a gruff fisherman who was kind of a late, uh, a late adapter, if you will, to who this person Jesus was. Uh, he's infamously known, unfortunately, as being the one who denied the Lord three times. But here in the book of Acts now, Jesus has risen. He's gone back to heaven. Uh, Peter has, you know, the lights have clicked on and he's got it. And here Peter now is out preaching the good news of this one that he had been hanging around with, but again was really slow to come to the full grips and impact of who he is. And the message that Peter gives, if you're familiar with that, I'm not going to go into it, is a right between the eyeballs of who this Jesus is and give their lives to him. But he doesn't sugarcoat a thing. And in a nutshell, he tells them that because man is destined for an eternity separated from Christ because of his sinfulness, that God, knowing what our plight was and who we are at our very core and our very being, that we could never jump through enough hoops, we could never be good enough, we could never do many enough good things, we could never give enough money, we could never walk enough old ladies across the street or anything else to earn God's favor. And so God became a human being and did it for everyone who would believe. And the response of the people who throughout the ages, all the way from the prophets, remember this, the Bible is about Jesus, all the way from Genesis through Revelation, the response that he hits them with is that some of the very ones that he was talking to were the very same people that murdered him, the one who came to rescue them. Boy, Peter knew how to pack the pews of a new church. Well, in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 37, this is where we pick up. This is not on the wall for my few people. That's coming in a second. Now, when they heard this, though, remember now the offensive nature of what Peter just told them, and even accuses them of putting the one to death that was the remedy, that was the cure for their own sinfulness. Acts 32.37 says, When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Well, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent! which means to turn then from your previous ways, from your prior attitudes. 
Not just say, I'm sorry, but say, I'm sorry, and now change complete direction from where you've been going in your life and all that you think and all that you believe. Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise, referring to the Gospel that He just painted such a clear picture of to them, is for you and it's for your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. And with many other words, Peter solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Isn't it interesting that the message of truth, while being offensive, was the very message of truth and still is the only message of truth that brought about the birth of Christianity. Now, we pick up on the wall, verse 41. So then, those who had received His Word were baptized. And that day, there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and their possessions and they were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together. They were taking their meals together with gladness and with sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts chapter 2, as I said, is the history of the birth of the New Testament church. It was built then and it continues to be built today upon the foundation of that good news of God coming to earth for all who would believe. And the result of it then, as it continues today, is that the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And we know from reading just a chapter or two later in this same book that in addition to the uh, the initial 3,000 people who did just that. They repented. They turned their lives to Jesus. They, they turned their thinking and shaping around to go along with that which they were starting to learn about through the apostles' teaching. No longer to cling to their own ideas and their own thoughts and their own values and their own principles and their own, I feel this though. They knew that they had to give it all over to the Lord for He was God Almighty and is. And the Lord continued adding and He added another 5,000 people we are told that came to Christ in a very short period of time. <laughs> now, sometimes the obvious tends to escape us. Remember, we're talking about a day when there were no iPads. <gasps> no smartphones. What? There were no computers to track people. There was no easy access to get in touch with anyone. And it's hard to imagine, but honest to goodness, factual truth, Mark Zuckerberg wouldn't be around for a few millennia to invent Facebook. And yet, the church continued to grow day by day by the thousands as it does to this day. 
So here's the question. How in the world does a megachurch, to use our language today, of 8,000 people, given that day now, remember, so it just kind of it heightens all the, the supernatural elements necessary to carry that off. How do you effectively shepherd a flock of 8,000 people? And of course, that's only what is quantified for us, and it was continuing to grow. Well, how to do that? First, we're told in the passage, they were continually devoting themselves to the thoughts of the day, to the culture, to MSNBC, to CNN, to Fox, to ABC, to CBS, to whatever, you fill in the blank. No, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And what else? And to fellowship. Being together. Getting to know one another. Getting their noses in all the right ways into each other's lives. They were continually devoting themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The key to the early church remaining a growing, healthy, new entity, healthy new entity was to see people become friends, make friends, <clears throat> make friends, meet together for the purposes of mutual encouragement, for mutual support, for teaching from the Word, the inspired, infallible, and and authoritative words as it was available then through primarily the apostles and then, of course, all the Old Testament. For prayer and, of course, for eating. Imagine taking 8,000 people and having to develop some system of tracking, some system of accountability and loving oversight which would assure as much as is humanly possible the perpetuation of and the all-important multiplication of an army who would likewise go forth spreading the same good news of God's love that won their hearts over and changed their lives forever. As we were preparing here at Faith to move from Timbuktu, also known as Rice Rips Road. <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask this, just because we don't go by road names a lot here in Maine. You know, you go, well, okay, you, know, you get on that road there, go to Benton, and then you go to where the old oak tree used to be, but now it's down, and you take a right on that road, and you know, we don't worry about names. I want to see you, just show me your hands if you would, if you do not know where or what Rice Rips Road is. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, it's like a little more than a stone's throw from right here. So when you go around Colby College and you pass over the overpass over the highway, okay, and it goes down into Oakland, that's the Rice Rips Road. Right? And right now on the left-hand side is a, now a church building again called Living Waters. That was the original location of Faith. Only the building didn't look like it did because we had to do a big expansion and everything else in another part of our lives. So as we were preparing now, we had expanded, we had done everything we could with the little bit of land that we were on there. God was blessing. We continued to grow. Now we had to do something a bit more drastic. It was out of the book of Acts paradigm that faith determined at that time to become not a church 
with small groups, but a church of small groups. I'm not quite sure what the difference is between those two. But you see, a church with small groups is a church that has all sorts of ministries for people and for adults, adult Sunday school and various ministries during the week and all this and that to help them. You know, hopefully they'll take advantage of some of them and everything else to get more than just what happens on Sunday morning. It's something that's really viewed as being optional. It's one of many ministries. Be a part of one, don't be a part of one. We don't really care, but we have to do it because that's what churches kind of do. A church of small groups is a church that by design, and I mean literally, architecturally, we knew we would not have any way of doing adult, what's typically called adult Sunday school. So more kind of Christian education, a little more intimate sorts of uh, uh, ways people can aggregate together and do the mutual encouragement, etc., and all those kinds of things that I just laid forth in the, from the book of Acts. By design, we became a church of small groups, meaning that we will be a church that expects committed, dedicated people who consider faith their church home to become a part of a small group ministry because Sunday morning isn't enough. And because we are a growing church, there is no way that everybody can possibly get to know everybody as you could when we were over on Rice Rips Road when we first came here. And so you see, a church that is a church of small groups has small groups not as an option. It's an expectation that everyone will join and become a part. Because that's where the personal encouragement is going to come, the personal shepherding, the personal care, and all of that. And so we determined early on that we would become a church of small groups. Well, there were other things going on in our growing church. We had almost, almost right in line, identically in a timeline, with our beginning the processes of looking into being able to possibly buy this this building in this land and relocate over here because we were growing. At the same time, we were planting a church 32 miles to the north of us in Solon, our first daughter church plant. And we had done that, and it was going great guns under the first church planting pastor that we sent up there. And then, as a rather complete shock to all of us, that pastor resigned very suddenly. Now the church that we had planted that was still quite young, just a couple of years old, was now without leadership. It was without stability. And we didn't know what to do. We knew that we had to get somebody in there to be able to help them out. And because the church was so young, it would be easy pickings for the enemies of the cross. So what to do? What to do? Remember what I said at the outset of this service about the Lord just having the right person there for us along the way. Enter an old, figuratively speaking, newspaper man who many years before had been formally trained and formally experienced, educated at a fine theological institution who himself was coming to a crossroads in his life and he was looking for a change in his life's work that 
would now be more focused on the direct work of the Lord through his church. We asked Ron Stevens if he would consider coming to the rescue of our baby church up in Stolen, so to speak, and would he assume the pulpit and provide some shepherding there for the people until that church could find a new permanent pastor. And I mean, if I remember correctly, in the blink of an eye, he was like, sure, yeah, I could do that. I'd love to do that. And of course, the man of faithfulness just stepped forward, and he did so. Well, after about, I don't know, I think a year's time or so, Solon did find a new pastor. Tim Hunt is there still to this day. And now the hard question, again, is things were continuing to move along with faith, and we're now here in a new building and all of that. The question we faced was, who now would have the life experience Who would have the personal maturity, stability, and integrity with the rare qualities of earthly and spiritual wisdom to come be a part of this team to join us and develop not a prescription, but to develop a pattern that we see played out in the very birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. And that was answered, again, already in Ron Stevens. And with Nancy, his wife, who was likewise mature, stable, faithful herself, gentle in spirit, and I know, big on prayer, Ron became Faith's first director of small group ministries. And then, uh, yeah, something called assimilation. Oh, yeah, and then something called welcoming. And then, oh, yeah, a host of other loosely defined responsibilities vital to keeping a growing church from becoming impersonal and irrelevant. With the wisdom of Solomon, Ron took some very loose guidelines. And he proceeded then for the next seven years to set the course to where we are today, becoming a church of small groups, not just a church with small groups. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Dr. John Piper. He's a man of passion, feels strongly. We're going to just listen to a blurb from uh, John Piper about small groups. He comes up, kind of the video kind of takes over in an awkward place, but I'm sure you will get the gist of what he has to say, and then I'll come up and finish. They come to a Sunday morning and the Holy Spirit has been working on them for who knows how many weeks, months, years, decades. And they come to Christ and then they go off and they just go off. And there's that that all-important next step and next steps in following up in a continuous way with that person, nurturing them into growth, unto maturity to where they then will also replicate the process in another individual and another individual and another. And that is the purpose and the point of small group ministry and being a church of small groups. In closing, I've said this many times over the years, that whether you know it or not, because I know that, that again, and this is really a, a great thing, that many people who have come to Christ here at faith have come to Christ here at faith. 
and those who have come here and have not really grown up in that that cultural train of you know the church they just see that we have you know how many over a couple hundred adults involved in small group ministries and small group ministries meeting all over geographically and every day of the week and all sorts of different uh, subject matter and everything else and it's all just taken for granted that we go year after year after year after year and Nobody ever hears of any struggles, any problems, any difficulties because small group ministries are notorious for becoming little independent churches from the big church with their own opinions and their own ideas and then the factions start formulating and now you get this small group that wants to be in rebellion and all that and now all of a sudden you've got all this uproar where there's division within the small groups and the small group that was there all of a sudden is gone and it's defunct and all of that. We've had none of that and it's not just because we've been lucky. I assure you. It's because of the anointing and the leadership and the wisdom of Ron Stevens and his prayer life and the prayer life of dear Nancy. And so again, right as soon as we're done here, we're going to go right next door, just go out right around the corner. And right over here, we're going to, we're going to practice a couple of those points there at any rate. You've just had the teachings of the apostles. The fellowship will be in talking with one another, but also going up to Ron and Nancy and telling them how much you know they've meant to them and all of that. And then the thing that we do best, perhaps, of all those four points that we learned in Acts, is we're going to eat. And you don't need too much instruction or encouragement to do that. So let me have you stand. And uh, let me pray. And then, in fact, I'm going to ask Ron and Nancy and the family to maybe just kind of get out of here right now. (laughs) You know, leave so that you don't get stampeded. Father in heaven, thank you for this great day. Thank you for the fact that we can celebrate. Not a departure, Lord, but yet again another change in the season of Ron's life. Thank you for blessing this congregation, Lord, and blessing your kingdom. Thank you for the refreshments that we're going to enjoy. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.